All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. Glad to see so many people and I see a lot of people who are just joining us today for the first time. You're coming in at the tail end of a series called First in Faith, where we are talking about one of the greats of our Christian faith, the most, one of the most famous people in the entire world, all religions recognize, and that is Abraham. And we are seeing about how Abraham really was the first when it comes to so many different things, both first as far as the greatness of his faith but also first, as far as chronologically, the first guy, as we've been saying week after week, the first guy who says, I will take God at his word and I will trust in the word of God regardless of what else happens. And we see the blessing that he received in his life. For those who have been with us the past four weeks, all right, we left off last week and we saw our superhero Abraham, actually even going back further than that, we've seen him go through lots of ups and downs. We've seen him you know, make some mistakes. We've seen him be very strong in faith, but we've seen him throughout the whole time, even the ups and the downs, he's never let go of, God has something for me. And he's always believed. And sometimes he actually believed too much. And that's actually why he made a mistake because he tried to help speed up God's plan, but he never let go of what God said he's gonna do, he's gonna do. And today, ladies and gentlemen, God is gonna do it. Today is the day that Abraham has been waiting for for 30 plus years, and actually, to be honest, even more than that, he's waiting his whole life, but just the story that we know of is 30 plus years, and today we'll see the birth of his son Isaac. But just to kind of get ourselves in the context, we're talking 30 years, 30 years of praying, 30 years of waiting, 30 years of hopeless nights, it's never gonna happen. No, I said, God said it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. 30 years of his neighbors saying, Abraham, you're crazy. 30 years of his wife saying, give up on God. 30 years of his own mind telling him, there's no way after all these years, your body is dead, her body is dead. 30 years, 30 years, 30 years. And finally, it pays off today. And today, Abraham is lifted to a new level, a new height as he receives the blessing of his son, Isaac. Before we get to the birth of Isaac, I wanna take a step back and I wanna take a kind of like a, a big picture overview of Abraham's journey through life, especially his spiritual journey, because I think there's a lot of similarities with what God did in Abraham and how most of us live our lives. Regardless of your spiritual upbringing, okay, regardless of how you got here, some people were like born into the church and raised in the church, went to church every Sunday, and you cut them open and they bleed church, okay? Like they have communion wine, like, every, like they're just church, 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 church. Other people may have just joined the church recently, okay, in their adult years, okay? And then there's some people who are in between those two extremes. Everywhere, someone, everyone's somewhere on that spectrum, regardless of where you are. Always church, just recent church, or maybe you grew up church, took a brief hiatus around the college years, okay, the, the making money years, and you kind of came back. Regardless of how you got here, everyone here today, I believe, had a moment, had a moment where you began to take your spiritual life seriously. You took ownership of it. It went from being just something that you're supposed to do to something that you want to do. It went from something that was just your parents, your parents' faith that was given to you, to your own faith that you said, this belongs to me, this is mine. No one's gonna force me, no one's gonna, like right now, Okay, we're all adults. No one is forcing us to be here. At least I hope no one's forcing you to be here. All right, we all made a choice that we want to be in church on Sunday. And we made a choice at one point in time that we want a life with God. Now, sometimes we struggle with what that means, but you at one point in time took ownership of your spiritual life and said, 
I want to make this my own. And if that's the case, the most likely, I believe, your beginning phase after that moment was a honeymoon phase. And that was like the best. Because that was when you saw things in a whole new light. And you said, you know what? Man, prayer, prayer, prayer was like fiery. Prayer was like, yeah, prayer was the best. I get to communicate with God. And you would rush to your room to pray. And there was no distraction. And there was no time limit. You loved to pray. The Bible was like alive. The Bible was something that it wasn't like open the Bible. It was like, did you guys know the Bible said this? And you would like go to your friends and be like, did you know this was in the Bible? I never this was in the Bible. And the Bible was alive for you. Fasting meant something. Church, you never miss a church service. I remember for me, that honeymoon period was when I was in college. I was one of the ones that, like I said, I kind of grew up into it, but I took ownership of it when I was in college. And I remember at that time, my life, everything looked different. Like I remember I used to have a 15, 20-minute walk to class from where I was living. And I used to look forward to that time and I would challenge myself to see, this is back when I was very spiritual, I would challenge myself to see how many Psalms I could memorize. So I would challenge myself and say, you know what? I got 20 minutes and I'm just gonna repeat this Psalm over and over and over and over and over and over for 20 minutes. So I would like look forward to my walk because I would get there and I'd be, and I have it memorized. And on the way back, I can memorize another one. So by the end of the week, I can memorize like 10 Psalms, okay? And this was like how I, I because life had new meaning. And I even remember back then, like I was living with a group of guys. We had a house of eight guys. It was really disgusting that we were living in a house with eight guys. And, and you know, by the end of that, that last year, I kind of grown apart from the guys. But it wasn't because I ever made a decision and said, I want to leave you. But just I found something so sweet that, you know what? I want to go home every weekend and go to church. I want to go home on Fridays to be with the youth group. I want to stay till Monday morning because I want to do something on Sunday night. So, like, life had new meaning and new taste. And you're never going to go back to the old life. That's what you always say in the honeymoon. Do honeymoons ever last forever? Married people, do honeymoons last forever? Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Please don't let that be my wife. Please let that not be my wife. Okay, very good. It wasn't my wife. Thank God. Thank God. Okay. Honeymoons never last forever. What happens is what you think the in love and the honeymoon or whatever, you get back to life. And then all of a sudden, busyness. And now prayer when I get a chance. And now frustrations, and now trials. And now I prayed and nothing happened. So I prayed again and nothing happened. And I prayed again and nothing happened. And what's going on with this prayer thing? And then so-and-so didn't pray and stuff happened. So then this is frustration. Why is God not answering me? Bible becomes tedious. Fasting just becomes a change in diet. Church just becomes boring. Same old, same old, same old. Easter again every year, it's Easter. Like every year, Good Friday, every year Easter. Like we've been there before, done that, try something new. And when that happens, when that frustration settles in, every one of us is tempted to ask the following question. How do I go back? How do I go back? We're tempted to ask the question, how do I go back to the honeymoon? How do I go back to the fiery prayers? How do I go back to when I was in love with God? How do I go back to, I didn't want anything in the world other than God. How do I go back to that? Married people, can you go back to the honeymoon? Can like me and my wife say, okay, you know what? Eh, we're sick and tired of the kids. Let's go back to the honeymoon phase. Let's just get rid of the kids. Let's get rid of the kids, get rid of the house. You know what I mean? And just be simple and no mortgage. Let's go back to where we were. Can you go back? Can you go back to the college days? Okay, for those who are working, can you go back to the college days and say, you know what? I'm just gonna schedule nothing before 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay, that's just gonna be my schedule from now on. 
Can a mother or a father of a thing called a teenager go back and say, can, let's go back to the period where I actually wanted them to talk to me, where I actually wished that they would respond to what I said. Like, can you go back and you like stop feeding them and like hope it goes backwards? You can't go back in life. And the problem is when you say you want to go back in your spiritual life, you're not understanding how the game works. So what I think, here's our key thought for today, and we're going to see this with Abraham, but it applies in all of our spiritual lives and all of life. You'll never reach new heights without letting go of familiar places. You'll never reach new heights without letting go of familiar places. Said another way, the goal of marriage isn't to go back to the honeymoon. Like anyone who's been married for a significant period of time, would anyone say the peak of our marriage was our honeymoon? If so, that's a sad situation. Honeymoon is fun and honeymoon is carefree, but there's no depth in honeymoon. You barely know each other. You're trying to figure stuff out. Like the goal isn't to stay in that shallow state. The goal is to grow together. And yeah, there'll be some problems and trials on the way, but the growth, the depth, the intimacy far outweighs the problems. At least it's supposed to be. I think like academically. For me, fourth grade, that was my year. That was my peak academically. Fourth grade was like the peak of, of my intellectual accomplishments in life. Then I got to fifth grade and sixth grade. And I'm like, you know, my grades aren't as good. Let's just go back to fourth grade. Let me just do that one again. Hey, fourth grade works when you're eight, but when you're 18, fourth grade doesn't work the same way. You cannot go back to fourth grade. You got to find a way to make it work in fifth and sixth and seventh because no one's going to take your fourth grade report card and give you a job based on that. There comes a point in time where we have to move forward. And you know the way you move? How do you move from fourth grade to fifth grade? or from fifth to sixth, or from eighth to high school, or from high school to college? How do you move from one grade to the other? You must pass a test. Has to be a test. Has to be a challenge. Has to be something that's hard to get you, to open you up to that next level. Well, the same is true in life in all aspects, including the spiritual life. So often, because we don't like the test, we wanna go back. Let's go back, let's go back. Because we don't want the test, and we avoid the test, and we hate the test. But the test is what opens the door to new heights. Today, we're gonna look at Abraham. And today, a new level is opened up to Abraham. That is the level of receiving the son Isaac. But in order for, I, for Abraham to get Isaac, in order for this new level to be achieved, Abraham had to be willing to let go of something from the past in order to move ahead to a new height. And you know what that thing from the past is? Is Ishmael. And we're gonna see how Abraham today in order to receive Isaac, is going to have to let go of Ishmael. Let's remember where we left off the story. We left off the story last week. We've seen Abraham go through all kinds of stuff, ups and downs, like I said. Finally, last week, Abraham, Sarah put their minds together and said, okay, we're going to help God out. And that's when Abraham took his uh, servant Hagar and Ishmael was born. So last week, we saw that Ishmael was in the house and Ishmael started growing. And Ishmael is now approximately 13 years old. And at that time, Abraham loved Ishmael, but he was kind of like, you know, I really messed up this thing with God. Like, I didn't wait on God, and I ruined it, and all the, Ishmael is great, but it could have been so much greater. And God was very clear. God was very clear with Abraham that Ishmael is great, but Ishmael is not the promise. Ishmael is not the reward that I promised you. He's kind of the work of your hands and your scheming, but I got better. Ishmael, good. I got great for you. 
And he said that, we'll see that in Genesis chapter 17, we'll read verse 19 through 21. And God, this is after Ishmael was born. God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Because the Ishmael was not born from Sarah, it was born from Hagar. So he's like, no, it's not Hagar. It's Sarah's gonna bear you a son. His name is Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Meaning like, I'll take care of him, don't worry. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Ishmael was okay, but he's not the promise. I shall establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. So God leaves no room for interpretation. It's not Ishmael. You came up with Ishmael. Ishmael is great. I'll take care of him. Don't worry. But it's not Ishmael. It's Isaac. It's not Hagar. It's Sarah. And God is very clear. The name of the child, the name of the mother, and the exact time he's going to come. So God is very clear. It's not that old stuff. It's something new. We're going to fast forward now to Genesis 21, which is four chapters later, but it's only one year later in actual time. One year later after God said this. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Watch how many times he mentioned the word Sarah, okay, to distinguish between Hagar. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, just again to be clear, whom Sarah bore to him, called him Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Before we move on with the story, let's just enjoy the moment here. Abraham was how old? 100 years old. Imagine you lived in Abraham's neighborhood. Imagine like he's in the house on the corner and you're like two or three townhouses down. Abraham's the cane guy. Actually, not cane guy. 100 years old, like the wheelchair guy. Abraham's the guy who every week, you know, like the, 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 the urgent care bus, okay, like drops him off and picks him up. Like that's Abraham. Abraham is, is, is the guy who's screaming at the kids, get off my lawn. Like that's Abraham. He's the grouchy, grumpy, old guy on the corner of the street. And Sarah is only like the young Sarah's 90 years old. She's the spring chicken of the, the household. And all of a sudden, like Abraham for years has been saying, one day I'm going to have a boy. And you're like, okay, Abraham, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm sure. And he's 80 years old and 85 and 86. And Abraham like lost his mind, but he's an old guy. So an old guy, you're like, yeah, your child is great. I see him right now. You know what I mean? Like, and then one day you're driving home, long day at work. And you see outside of Abraham's mailbox. A balloon. It's a boy. <laughs> You're like, so you knock on the door. And inside you see old Abraham and he's goo goo gaga and he's wet. And picture the scene. We'll see right here, verse six. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear me, all who hear will laugh with me. The name Isaac, which God chose, means laughter. Okay? And you see why. God called and said, the name of the boy is laughter. Look here. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age? 
So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. You walk inside that party, what's the spirit? What do you think is going on at that party? 100-year-old, 90-year-old, goo goo gaga. Gifts for the baby. What do you think the spirit is? I think it's the spirit of laughter. Not laughter like, ha, 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 the old guy got a baby. Like, man, God is good. Can you believe? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. They didn't have Guinness Book of World Records around back then, okay? But I looked it up on Guinness. No one above age, like, I think the oldest was like a 70-something that had a baby. They, they should put Abraham in there because he, and he's laughing. He's like, can you believe it? We got a baby. And elation and joy and ecstasy. And they're just thinking, this, and you would walk in there. And you're going to walk out and say, truly, God of Abraham is a great God. Truly, there's something special about this man. You wouldn't have said that with Ishmael because Ishmael was good. But Abraham, or Isaac, was great. Goes on. Verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing as Ishmael, scoffing. The new guy in town, he gets all the attention. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. You say, ouch. Abraham says the same thing. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. You can understand this. Abraham for years. Like Isaac is great, but he's only known Isaac for 15 minutes. Ishmael was the boy that he had waited his entire life. And he'd been now with Ishmael for 13, 14 years. So you can imagine he got kind of attached to Ishmael. And he knew Ishmael wasn't the real deal. But like, he's my boy. He's like, all I've got. So this matter was displeasing in Abraham's sight. Look what God says. God says to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. Women all circle that verse, okay? <laughs> circle that one, okay? Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will, make, I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Why did Ishmael need to go for Isaac to stay? Why? Why God had to throw out Ishmael? Why Sarah wanted to get rid of Ishmael and why God agreed Ishmael has got to go. Is this just like a sibling rivalry thing? Like, or is there more to the story? Why did the old guy need to go in order for the new guy to come? That's kind of our topic here for today. And before I answer the question for you, I want to look at a passage from Romans chapter 8, which is just this past week I was reading in my quiet time, and I think it answers the question for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. So it's saying there's two ways to go about life. The first way of life is according to the flesh, and the second way is according to the spirit. And he's saying there's a spirit way and a flesh way, and they're not the same. It goes on. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's two ways of life. There's in the flesh and then in the spirit. And you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. 
because they are hostile to one another. Think about a woman who's getting married. You can have the boyfriend or you can have the husband, but you cannot have both. Like the boyfriend may be a great boyfriend, but he is hostile to the husband. And same with the husband, at least he should be, hostile to the boyfriend. You cannot have both. I'm not saying the boyfriend is bad and the husband is bad. I'm saying you can't have both, you must choose. Well, the flesh and the spirit is the same way. The flesh is hostile to the spirit. And in order for anyone to live in the spirit, which we probably realize that's probably what we want, we cannot live according to the flesh. Now, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? Off the top of our heads, surface level, we'd say the flesh is like lusts and like desires and like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. So yes, we agree we shouldn't live that way. I think it's more than that. I think it's too simple to say, yeah, I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I don't party, so I don't live according to the flesh. I fast, so I don't live according to the flesh. I think it's too simple to say that. I think the flesh and the spirit are Ishmael and Isaac. And I think Ishmael represents life in the flesh, and Isaac represents life in the spirit. Ishmael is the product of man's best efforts. How did Ishmael come about? Abraham, well, actually started with Sarah, I got an idea. And then she told Abraham, and then they pulled Hagar in. And then the three of them schemed together to get Ishmael. So Ishmael is the product of the flesh, human thinking. This is the best we could come up with. How did Isaac come about? Straight from heaven. Took a dead man and a dead woman and put Isaac in the midst. Ishmael, flesh, okay. Efforts of man. Isaac, spirit, not just okay. Like ordinary, extraordinary. Not just, not just sufficient, but miraculous. Isaac, sorry, Ishmael made Abraham a father. Isaac made Abraham, the father of many nations. But you can't have both. You must choose one or the other. If I had to break it down, life in the spirit versus life in the flesh, if I had to summarize it in a quick, kind of easy way, life in the flesh is all about I can do it. Life in the spirit is all about I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. You must choose which of the two you choose to live with. Here's the thing about this life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. As much as I wish... Like I could give it to you in the next 15, 20 minutes and you understand it and you move on for the rest of your life. That's not how it works. This is one of those lessons. Actually, entire life of faith is not really something you can learn from a book or a sermon. It's something that you have to experience. Like no one can give, you don't listen to a sermon and you have more faith. You listen to a sermon, you walk out the doors and then your faith is tested and then you have more faith. Same thing I'm talking about right here. Our entire lives are God, as I said earlier, trying to take us from the past, from where we were, not back to where we were, but to onto new heights and to new planes and to new levels. But in order to get there, you must be willing to let go of the old. For example, you are single and you are ready to be unsingle. And you have great ideas as to how you can do that. And you know that, the, that so-and-so did this, and that person did that. So you think, okay, well, if I do that, and then I do that, and then I try this, and then I go there, and then I talk to that priest, he gives good recommendations, or put in a good word for me, and then you have a plan. And I'm not saying that you put no effort into it. I'm not saying the opposite. Like, this could be taken to extreme. But what I'm saying is, ultimately, you must know that it's not your efforts that will bring you to where you want to get to. 
but it's your trust in God and your reliance on God. Let's say married couple gets pregnant and it's one of those unplanned pregnancies, which I've seen this time and time and time again. It's the end of the world, Father Anthony. It's the end of the world. We can't right now. We already got three kids and a fourth one came. We can't afford and we can't and we can't and we can't. Well, who are you going to trust? Your plan and how you think things should work together or the exact opposite? Or you know what? I trust in God's plan. And God doesn't want us to go back. We were just getting settled in and life was just getting comfortable. We want to go back to that. Well, God doesn't want you to go back. God wants you to go forward. Things are miserable in your house and every day gets worse. And you have ideas as to how you can solve it. Most of them aren't the most godly way of solving. You can do it your way, your scheming, your planning, your idea, and you could justify it. Just like Abraham justified the Hagar thing. There was nothing wrong with what Abraham did with Hagar. We talked about that last week. It was not a sin, okay, to have, to have children with your concubines. That was like a, the, the, the practice at the time. But it was not the way of God. So you got to figure this out in life. When life hits you with a trial, when life is harder, because there will be trials, there will be challenges, because that's how you go to the next level. How are you going to respond? In the flesh, I can, I will, this is what I'm going to do, or in the spirit. Say, God, I can't, but you can. You know who understood this lesson very well was St. Paul. St. Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about a lot of the trials that he faced in life. And he talked about how a lot of these, St. Paul was a tough guy. St. Paul was like the Chuck Norris of the Bible times. Like he faced a lot of stuff. But St. Paul knew that his own efforts could only get him so far. And the only way he was going to get to that next level was it had to be spirit, power of God, not power of self. Look what he says here. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. My grace, this is God speaking to St. Paul, is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, this is back, back to St. Paul. St. Paul is saying, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't know about you. This is one of those verses that we hear a lot and we say a lot. For the longest time, I understand what this verse means. How does it, it say, when I am weak, then I am strong? So saying when I'm short, then I'm tall. How? Like, how can you be short and tall at the same time? When I'm left, then I'm right. Like, how? Either you're weak or you're strong. Like, you can't be both. I never understood this. And it was just one of those ones that when people ask me, I'd be like, it's very deep. You don't understand it at your level, but I'll explain it to you one day. Okay? That's how, I, if a priest says that, means he doesn't have a clue either. Okay? But then I started to think about it. What does it mean when I'm weak, then I'm strong? Now, what's St. Paul saying? I'd like to boast in my infirmity, my weakness. This remote control thing, this remote control thing. Let's say I'm gonna say, I'm gonna pick this thing up. What am I gonna do? If this thing is right there and I say, I wanna pick it up, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna stick my hand out and pick it up. I'm not gonna be like, dear God, like I need your help to pick up the thing because like I trust in you. And like, maybe some people do that. I don't do that. I don't think anyone would do that. We would like look weirdly at those people who did that. Like we have a prayer meeting to pick up the stick. Let's say I want to pick up this stage though. What would I do? What would you do if I said, come here, pick up the stage. Come here, pick up the stage. What are you gonna do? First thing you're gonna do is be like, hey, can you give me a hand here? You mind give me a hand? 
And you're gonna call as many people as you can. And if you can't find people, then say, please God. You're gonna lift your hands up, you say, I can't. I am too weak to do that. I am not too weak to lift this thing. I'm too weak to lift this thing. So actually, if my whole purpose of my life is to lift this thing, this small little thing, versus to lift this thing, I'm gonna be much stronger when I lift this thing. You know why? Because I have a help with me. And I have a power with me. And my collective strength will be much stronger. So I say there's two ways to live out this verse. There's two ways to live out this verse. There's two ways to live out when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Way number one is convince myself that I can't. Way number two is challenge myself to reach beyond. If your entire life is spent trying to lift light things and do easy things, and as much as you set the bar low in life, you will not need the help of God. You will not need to live in the spirit because you will never need to say, I can't. You will say, I can. I can do this. I can do that. But where the I can't comes in, he can't, I can't, he can. Where that life in the spirit is where you set the bar high and you challenge yourself to live above here. Ishmael, I can do it. But Ishmael is not what God, God wants me to have. Isaac, well, I can't do that by myself. God, I need your help. The Christian life is supposed to be more carrying the stage and less carrying the remote control. The Christian life is supposed to be more carrying the stage, things we can't do, things like turn the other cheek, things like forgive not once, not twice, not seven, but 70 times seven, things like not go one mile, but go two miles, things like not just love yourself and love your neighbor, but love your enemy. Those things are hard to do. And if you try to do those on your own power, you'll never be able to, but only with the help of God, we'll be able to do those things. Christian life is supposed to be things like be anxious for nothing and do not worry about tomorrow. Can't do that on your own. Christian life is supposed to be not just love your neighbor and love your enemy, but wash their feet and the filth off their, their slimy feet. These things are not things that we can do easily by ourselves. You're married. Do you want a good marriage? Or do you want the best marriage? One you can do on your own? Maybe, when you can't. You just want a job, just a job, like just a job, or you want blessing in your career from God. You want people to look at you and say, there's something special about this person. The favor of God, the grace of God is upon this person. You just want no fights at home, or do you want true peace of God, which surpasses all understanding to guard your hearts, your minds, and your home? One you can do on your own, the other one you can't. You must choose which one you will aim for. John 15, verse five, is another one of those verses. It's basically saying the same thing. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. No, Jesus, that's not true. I can lift this thing without you. For without me, you can do nothing. No, that's not true. I can do these easy things without you. But what he's saying here is that's not the goal. That's not the goal is just to live in ordinary. The goal is not just to live good. The goal is great. And that's the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. That's what God kept telling Abraham. Abraham, trust me, trust me. I got something great. But in order to get there, life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Let me tell it to you another way, a different analogy. Some things are hard. And no matter how much effort you put in, you can't do them. 
It's not a matter of more effort. Like, for example, can a fish fly? How about if it practices? How about if it puts on like the cool little cape? How about if it watches like YouTube videos of birds like all day long? There he goes, there he goes. And I got it, I got it, and then, okay, boom, then I'm gonna try it. Can a fish fly? Can a bird swim? If a bird spends all day watching people swim and studying the swim techniques and takes the swimming class and the little floaty and all that kind of stuff, can the bird swim? No. Are you sure? Can anyone think of a way that a fish could fly? How about if I'm getting on an airplane and I take the fish with me in a little fishy back? That fish is going to look out the window is going to say, you know what? I'm flying. If I take that bird, which can't swim, and I put it in a cage and I put it on a boat, he's going to look over the thing. He's going to say, I'm swimming. Can a fish fly? Can a bird swim? Yes or no? By themselves? No. Airplane boat? Yeah. Now, the fish would be smart to realize that it's not his effort that made him go up. Like, we don't want, we don't want to be like the fish sitting in first class, be like, that's right. <laughs> I got it taken care of right here. Dumb Nemo down like you don't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, watch me. We don't want to be the bird on the, air, on the boat that think it's because we watch so many videos that that's why we're able to swim across the ocean. We want to be smart enough to say, you know what? I can't, but he can and I'll tell you what, there's two ways the devil likes to get you. There's two ways. At the beginning of your spiritual life, the devil likes to get you to do bad stuff, to do bad sins, and to fall off on this end of, the, of, of this, this side of the ditch. And then you say, you know what? I'm never going to do bad stuff. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to obey. Then you know what he wants you to do? Not do bad stuff, but do good stuff and attribute to your own efforts. And I'm telling you, if I'm driving on a road and I'm about to fall into the ditch on the left, and then I overcompensate and swing and fall into the ditch on the right, same deal. The devil is just as happy to get you to fall into that ditch of sin or this ditch of self-effort. It's the same for him. What God wants for us. God wants to give us new things, great things. He's a God of new. Behold, I make all things new is what he said. Anyone who's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. That's what he says. He says that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. God loves to give us new things, new things, new things. But in order to do the new work, in order to give us the Isaac, we got to let go of the Ishmael. And we got to be willing to part with some familiar places and things that we may know well. For some of us, those Ishmaels that we may need to part from are like our ideas, our logic. For me, I oftentimes think one of the things that I was taught as a, as a, as a young priest, okay, by an older priest, I would always say, I never want to be an experienced priest. I never want to be an experienced priest. And I always remember that. And I'm saying the same thing. I never want to be experienced. I never want to show up on Sunday and be like, yeah, I know how this preaching thing works. Yeah, I can do this before. I've done it for so many years. I never want to show up and be like, yeah, I know how this works, that I'm good at this. I don't want to rely on my experience. I don't want to rely on my logic. I don't want to put two and two together and get to four. I want to be able to do my best and then say, God, that's all I got. And I want to be willing to let go of anything that God wants me to let go of and let God do the best of the best, do the miraculous in my life and in yours. I'm reminded of this every time I go to confession. As I was sharing earlier, I just went to confession this past Friday. 
Every time I go to confession, every time I go to, it's like the same thing. It's like put the tape recorder on and just play it. I don't even need the priest on the other side. You just say the same thing. Because I always come in with, I did this, I did this, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to fix this, and I have my plans and like my, my spreadsheet, and I'm, this is how I'm going to fix everything. And the end result, he always tells me, we need to pray, and we need to rely on God. And I'm like, yeah, that's a really good idea for you, but look what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I have this strategy and all this stuff. And the end result is every time is, yeah, we need to pray more. And that drives me bonkers. <laughs> But that's the answer that I need because I'm very good at relying on myself. But relying on yourself at best, Ishmael, at best, Ishmael. But God wants Isaac. Isaac will never come by self-effort. Abraham let go of Ishmael. Verse 14 in Genesis 21. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Not easy. You can kind of feel the, 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 the heaviness in Abraham as he rose up early, didn't want anyone else around, and he sent the boy, the only boy he had known. Again, Isaac is great, but he's been here for 15 minutes. Ishmael, and I lived with him my whole life. And you know what? There's a risk of keeping Isaac and getting rid of Ishmael. There's a risk. There's a risk, okay, in your life. There's a risk of letting go of the familiar because it's familiar. And we know how it works. And I know how Ishmael works. I know Ishmael's quirks. The new boy, I don't know anything about him. The new boy may be difficult. The new boy may not like me as much. The new boy may, may, may spit up and vomit. The new boy may be a problem. And it's not easy to let go of the old. But that's the only way you're going to get the new. Ishmael had to go in order for Isaac to enter. I think through the scriptures. And I think of all the people that God did Isaacs for, that God gave gifts for, that God did miraculous for, and every single one of them, there, had, there came a moment in time where they had to let go of the old. Samaritan woman is one that I love. And Samaritan woman, Jesus said to her, I'm gonna give you water. They're like, you never tasted water before. But you gotta get rid of the husbands. The disciples, y'all are gonna sit with me on thrones at the end and you're gonna judge. Ah, oh, that's best. But I need you to leave your father and mother and wife and children, house and everything, forsake all, and come follow me. Every time God wants to give something great, it always calls you to leave something ordinary. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 8 says this. <clears throat> For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called that is, those who are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Bottom line in life is this, is you have two choices. Live in your flesh, best efforts is your best efforts, I can. Or live in the spirit, I can't, but he can. In order to get to the Isaac, there has to be a challenge. You're never gonna go from fourth grade to fifth grade without passing a test. And Abraham has passed test after test. First it was leave your family, or leave your land. Then it was leave your family. Then it was the whole circumcision thing, which was, doesn't seem like leaving behind much, but you can imagine quite painful for the old guy and he had to circumcise all the people around him. And then finally he gets the boy that he's been waiting for and is good enough. And even then God says, you gotta leave that one. And every step of the way was more anguish, anguish, anguish for Abraham but in the end was more joy, more joy, more joy in the birth of his son. 
my challenge for you is to look forward, not backwards, and think about what it is that maybe you are refusing to let go of. What's that familiar place, that comfort zone for you that God is challenging you? I want to do more for you. I want to take you to greater heights. I want to do new things in your life. Challenge yourself to see what is that thing that I'm not letting go of that's, that, that's my comfort zone. And I'm challenging you to say this week that this will be hard to let go of, but I'm not going to focus on what I'm giving up. I'm going to focus on what I'm going to receive. Ishmael is difficult to let go of. But when you see Isaac, it makes it all worthwhile. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We thank you that you haven't called us to just an ordinary life, but you have something extraordinary, extra special, extra supernatural, miraculous for each and every single one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, like Abraham, to let go of the things which may be dragging us down, pulling us back into the past, that we would no more seek how we can regain the past, but that we would seek how we can move ahead in the future and reach new levels with you. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done for us and all that you've been teaching us throughout this series. And I pray, Lord, it wouldn't just be words in one ear and out the other, but that we truly mean, understand what it means to live a life of faith like Abraham. We pray all these things in the mighty name of your son, with the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.